Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Pastor Ben Pitney is back in our series, Raid the Darkness, with a message titled, Come and See. Join us in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. I was, I was thinking about this uh, my message today, and something just awesome happened. If you want to take your Bible out and turn to John chapter 1, that's where we are. But I was thinking through this today, and I want to come at this from a little bit different angle. I mean, my, my uh, way of going about this, I, I, I usually am two or three weeks out, at least three weeks out studying ahead. So I kind of knew where we were headed today, three weeks ago, at least, and but um, this, I changed my message like two times um, this go around because I just wanted to go about a little bit different um, than I have in the past. I got something in the mail and Linda and I were looking at it and it's kind of crazy. I mean, there are so many things out there that you just never realize are there because you're just not paying attention. You just don't know, right? You just don't know that there is a U.S. dry bean convention in Nashville, and it happens every year. A dry bean convention. I don't know where the wet beans are, but the dry beans. There's a huge dry bean convention. Right now, why do we get this in the mail? I mean, you know, Linda, she works for a a cannery over here. It's called the Fairball Foods Factory. And they can beans. And we don't eat very many beans in my house because if you work in the bean factory and you smell beans every day, you don't, wanna, you don't want them. When I go to visit Linda at the factory, it smells so good. But she's like, oh, if you work here, though, after a while. Do you know, just not to get too sidetracked, but I'm going to. Do you know, there's a job. There's, there's, there's two people that work over there. And you know what their job is? Their sole job is just to taste the beans. They just taste, taste the beans before they, you know, that's all they do is taste the beans. That sounds like a cool job to me. I don't know. It's a really well-paid job to taste the beans. And so that's what they do. And I don't know, I'm getting all off. But listen, the dry bean factory, uh, 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 the dry bean convention um, that I'm hoping Linda has to go to and that I can go along with. The activities are awesome. They're, 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 it's at an unbelievable hotel in Tennessee, right? And, but but the, the, the Burt Brother Bean Company will be there, the Bonanza Bean Company, the Railway Bean Company, the Bridgewell Bean Company, the Anderson Bean Company, Beans Are For You Incorporated will be there, <laughs> California Bean and Pea Company will be there, the Columbia Bean Company, Faribault Bean Company, oh my goodness, and about two dozen other beans, Bean Company will be there, Bush Beans right? Yeah, all, and all, and look, that's, that's the only one you know. You only know that because of that dog they use in the commercial too, right? Oh my gosh, there's a bunch of stuff. They're going to give away $3,000 in prizes, you know? I don't know what they're going to give for, but 
There's, there's a $500 gift certificate. There's ribbons, trophies, a golf tournament. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And they're staying at the Omni Nashville Hotel, which is a five-star hotel. I'm ready to go. I hope Linda has to go to the, the U.S. Dry Bean Convention. It looks very patriotic, too, the whole, all the whole thing. So, so my point is, if there's a point, <laughs> my point is that when you, when you look into the scriptures, there's so many things that if you're just going to just sort of breeze through there and read it, at, just give it a pass and just buzz through it, there's so many things you're just going to miss, right? I feel like I was even missing a few things. That's why I changed my message a couple of times because this passage of scripture where um, we're going to see where Jesus begins to call his disciples. There's some things that I would generally focus on. That is truth. That's front and center about the characters that he calls, right? But there's so much more there that you don't even know is there. I mean, who knew there was a dry bean convention anywhere in the U.S., in particular in Tennessee? Why? Um, so uh, you, maybe you didn't even know there's a bean factory right over here. Um, that is really cool. And they make all the beans that you probably eat. All right. So John chapter 1. Let's just look in, uh, t- together. And I want you to start at verse 35. Okay. Verse 35 is um, where we left off. Let's just read together first. And there's a few things that I want you to keep in mind. There are two Johns here. John the Baptist, who is featured in the Gospel of John, John the author, all right? And you got to keep that straight. So in verse 35, where we start, when it says, again, the next day, John was standing there, that's John the Baptist, okay? All right, here we go. Again, the next day, John was standing there with two of his disciples, gazing at Jesus as he walked by and he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when John's two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned around and he saw them following and he said to them, what do you want? So they said to him, Rabbi, which translated, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? So Jesus answered, come and you'll see. So they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. Now, it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And then in verse 40, Andrew, the brother brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two disciples who heard what John said and followed Jesus. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, We found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. And Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. So Jesus looked at him and he said, you are Simon, the son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Verse 43, on the next day, Jesus wanted to set out for Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda, the town of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and Nathanael told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets also wrote about Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael replies, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Sounds kind of harsh. Philip replies, 
Come and see. And then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and exclaimed, Look, a true Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Some of your translations might say guile there. Right? Nathanael asked him, How do you know me? And Jesus replied, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said to him, Because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. He continued, I tell all of you the solemn truth. You will see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So there's something here that I think is really important. I titled this message, Come and See. This seeing thing, it's kind of a big deal. And I believe that this gospel is written by the eyewitness John, right? So that through his inspired testimony, we could join him in the seeing. In the seeing. In the seeing of, go to verse 14, just back up just a little bit. Look at verse 14. There's a phrase in there. We saw his glory. So John's this eyewitness that says, we saw his glory. We got to see it. We got to see it firsthand. So I, his, his point here is unbelievable. He wants us to see Jesus in all of his glory. Now, my first point is Jesus is the goal of John's ministry. Now we're talking about John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. Jesus is the goal of all of his ministry and his purpose, right? Just briefly, since we've seen it before several times, John shows Jesus to be this goal, right? Look at verse 35. Start there again. Look for yourself. Again, the next day, John was standing there with two of his disciples. These are his guys that he's discipling, all right? Gazing at Jesus um, as he walked by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Some of your versions might say, behold. It's like, look, there he is. And when John's two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now, these are John the Baptist's guys. He's discipling them, and suddenly they're just gone. They followed Jesus. This is humbling for John, right? It's got to be really humbling. His following and his ministry, it's, it, you know, it's vanishing. But the point of John's ministry was to call our attention to the superiority of Jesus. That it's not about us, it's about him. How many times you make it about you and, and, and your purpose. But our purpose is to feature, to showcase, to point to who Jesus is, not us. To bring attention to him, not us. It's about him, not us, right? If you just turn the page, uh, likely, um, to chapter 3 in the Gospel of John and go down to verse 28, look at this. This is pretty great. You yourselves, he says, starting in verse 28, can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but rather I have been sent before him. So this is John the Baptist and his testimony. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly when he hears the bridegroom's voice. This then is my joy and it's complete. He must become more important while I become less important. 
It's about him. It's not about me, right? So Jesus becoming more important than him is the goal of John the baptizer's ministry. Man, if it's not about Jesus, it's really not about anything. We're kind of fooling ourselves so much. It surrounds him. Number two, Jesus is the lamb that removes sin. This is such an important point and truth in the text. Jesus is followed as the lamb of God, the sin remover of the world. You see how important and how key that is. When Jesus is explained when he's presented, he must be presented as the sin remover of the world. Right? John had already said in verse 29, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the, sins, uh, the sin of the world, to call Jesus the Lamb of God meant that finally, at the pinnacle of Israel's his- history, finally, God was sending the final sacrifice for sin that would end all other sacrifices. This system of sacrifices would come to an end, right? Jesus would die in our place the way the Lamb was sacrificed in the Old Testament, in place of the sinner. It's so important to talk about sin and how it separates us from God. Don't leave that out. When you are testifying, teaching, explaining, presenting the gospel, you've got to talk about sin. We're all sinful, in need of a Savior. And look, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But there's more here, the connection between verse 36 and 37. So there's a connection here that is really important in these two verses. It means that the reason that John the Baptist's disciples left John and followed Jesus is because Jesus removes sin. John the Baptist can't remove sin. All right. Verse 36 says, John said, look the Lamb of God. And so in verse 37, when John's two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Why? Because he removed sin. And I'm in need of that removal. This means that, the first and, 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 that, that first and foremost, discipleship is what we need from the Savior that removes sin. Discipleship is such a hard thing for some reason. For, for us because it requires some intentionality and commitment to be the follower, right? So in other words, following Jesus is not heroic. See, we follow him not the way David's mighty men followed King David and served King David and protected him as their king. You know, when King David said to his guys, which I really love this about David, when he said, let's ride, they got their swords and they said, just tell us what to do. And they did. I mean, 500 guys. He's like, hey, hold on. I only need 300. Because they all said, all right. That's the way David's mighty men followed King David. But no, we follow Jesus the way sheep follow the shepherd. It's different because we need to be protected. You see, we need to have our sins forgiven. We're weak and he's strong. We're foolish and he's wise. We're hungry and he's bread. We're thirsty 
and he's living water. So the point of the connection between verse 36 and verse 37 is that following Jesus calls attention to his strength, not ours. His goodness, not ours. His wisdom, not ours. Jesus made this really clear. Those who are well don't need a physician or a doctor, right? But those who are sick, that's me and you. I came, he says, not to call the righteous, but sinners, sinful people like you and I in Mark chapter 2. The reason these two disciples of John the baptizer left him and followed Jesus was, was because Jesus is the Lamb of God. They are sinners, and he removes sin. That's what they need. That's part of the fullness of his glory. And that's why his glory is full of grace and full of truth. Now, let's keep going because, oh, this is my favorite point here. Jesus gives spiritual sight. That's, that's the third thing. Look at verse 38 again. Go to verse 38. Jesus turned around and he saw them following them, following him. And he said to them, what do you want? Maybe your version might say, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? What are you after? Right? So they said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? That sounds kind of odd. Jesus answered, come and you'll see. You'll see. So they came and they saw where he was staying. And then look what happens. They stayed with him that day. And that was about four o'clock in the afternoon. So here you can see, I think the deeper meaning, it takes a little bit of work, but watch this. You see the deeper meaning in some of John's simple language here, John the author here, right? Regularly in this gospel, people are talking at this sort of doctor, patient, physician level kind of thing. And Jesus is taking their language and leading them to the deeper spiritual level using the same language. This is what I mean. For example, Nicodemus in uh, John chapter 3, before you get to that famous verse, John three sixteen, there's something going on there. Nicodemus is looking for some answers, and Jesus starts answering his questions before he can even ask the question, actually. And so um, Nicodemus is talking about physical birth in that scene, and Jesus is talking about spiritual birth. And, and, the, and the woman at the well, maybe you know that story, where Jesus encounters this woman at the well. She's talking about water from the physical well, and Jesus is talking about spiritual water that he can give. The crowds are asking for physical bread in John chapter 6, but Jesus meant that he was living bread. The Pharisees deal with a guy who's uh, given physical sight in John chapter 9, and Jesus speaks of spiritual sight. So when Jesus says in John 1, 38, in verse 38, what do you want? What are you after? What are you looking for? What he's asking is something deeper than they think. There were people who followed Jesus seeking the wrong stuff all the time. In John chapter 6, verse 26, look at this. He says, I tell you the solemn truth. You're looking for me, uh, looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate all the loaves of bread you wanted. You know, I was like this. Free buffet. 
all you can eat? And you liked it. So he's asking John's disciples here, what do you want? What are you after? What are you looking for? And I think he would ask you the same question. What do you want? What do you want, Ben? Now, they don't go to that level. They're not connecting all the dots. They just say in verse 38, where are you staying? What's your address? As usual, Jesus is patient with this kind of response, and he gives them another chance. He's all about second chances. Only this time, it's not a question. It's a command and a promise. Look at verse 39. Come, and you'll see. On one level, it could mean simply, you'll see where I'm staying. But for Jesus and John, the author, what he, you know, he's trying to pull out of this. If you really come to me, you're going to see spiritually. You're going to have spiritual sight. Your eyes are going to be opened up, and you're going to really see some crazy stuff, awesome things. See, when you're looking for Jesus, when you really find him, what you find is Christ What you find is Christ. Coming to Jesus in John's gospel means consistently that when you trust Jesus, you receive his promises. I mean, I could just go on and on about his promises that are revealed. So they come to him and they stay with him the rest of the day. And then the next two verses, look at what happens in verse 40 and 41. The next two verses show that they really get to see, right? Look at, he says, Verse 40, it says, Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two disciples who heard what John said and followed Jesus. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, we found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. So Jesus began the relationship by saying, what do you want? What are you after? Verse 38. And now we hear Andrew say to his brother, we found the Messiah. At first, they're they're only asking where he's staying. Then because they came with him and they spent time with him, they saw. They got to see. And the point is that if you come to Jesus, you see. You see spiritual reality. You see the key that unlocks the meaning of everything. This is the glory of the Son of God. This is the grace that we receive. We get to see. We get to see. Oh, have you ever heard through someone's testimony something like that, where they're like, you know, my whole life, I was like reading the scripture and it just didn't make sense. But when I was finally really introduced to Jesus, the light bulb just came on and it's like, wow, oh my gosh. I have no idea there's a dry bean convention in Tennessee. <laughs> I'm just seeing everything totally different now. There's so much out there than I thought there was. How do they get in those cans? <laughs> Evidently, they talk all about that at the dry bean convention. Right? All this stuff is going on. I had no idea. It's wide open now. Oh, Jesus is the Messiah. That's a point four. I'm not going to labor this point. 
He is the Messiah. Verse 41, he, that's Andrew, that's, that's my parentheses there. That's, that's the he. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, we found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. So the glory of the Son of God is the glory of the Messiah, the long-expected one of Israel. And all these guys, are, you know, they grew up in Sunday school, and they heard about this, and they're like, he's coming somehow and whatever. And all of a sudden, now that they spent some time with Jesus, hey, we found him. I saw him. Number five, Jesus changes our identity. This is really great, too. He has the authority to change our identity. That's really the truth that you got to draw out of there that, that just stares you in the face. Look at verse 42. Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, the son of John. You're going to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Now, look how just matter of fact that is. There's no explanation in John's gospel why Jesus changed Simon's name to Cephas. That's Aramaic. Jesus speaks Aramaic. That is Peter. That's Greek. That's John writing in Greek. No explanation as in Matthew in that gospel, in the gospel of Matthew chapter 16, that Peter means rock and you're going to build my church. There's none of that. That's not the point. The point here is Jesus has authority to give you whatever name he wants to give you and in giving you a name, determine your destiny. The point is the glory of Christ, not the glory of Peter. Don't miss the implicit authority in what Jesus does here in John 1.42. You're Simon, you're going to be called Peter, period. Not if you like it, or if it works out. This is the absolute authority of Jesus to, to choose Simon and name Simon and determine Simon's destiny, and there's no identity for your life better than the one Jesus gives you. We receive grace from this fullness of his authority. Don't walk past the authority of Jesus lightly. Oh, this is funny. My, uh, you know, I, I, um, it's pretty exciting that I am a grandfather. Okay, and so it, you know, for me, I don't know, even, I, I never thought it would be like this, but people are asking me, and I pull up my phone and show you pictures. Actually, I show you videos, right? Here he is, right? Uh-huh. I never thought I'd be that guy, but I totally am, and I'm good with it. And people ask me, I'll like, well, what are you going to be called? I'm like, well, he's, he, he just cries and poops basically right now. He doesn't give me a name. But everybody's asking me, what are you going to be called? I'm like, you know what? In my experience, I don't really feel like you get to choose that. Now, you can, but I, I don't, you know. All right, so, so my daughter and her husband, Eric, um, they foster children, and they've had a two-year-old in their house for two years, or for, for a year, excuse me, for one year, maybe a little bit over a year. And he's the sweetest little two-year-old. And um, so we've seen him a lot. So when we come over there, or we FaceTime all the time with them. Oh, I love FaceTime, you know. Linda, my wife, she calls uh, this little guy, she calls him Pumpkin all the time. Oh, Pumpkin, you know, he asks something. She calls him Pumpkin. 
So whenever, so he asked to call us. He, he just take the phone sometimes, and it's amazing how he can call us and ask about us. So what's he say? You know, Cam, my daughter, she says, well, he's always asking for Grandma Pumpkin. Right? She's ad- forever identified as Grandma Pumpkin because I don't know. Sounds kind of cool. She didn't decide that's what it was going to be. Nobody did. He just, that's it. I mean, there's other grandmothers in his life, and they're named for different reasons as well, right? So you got to be careful what you do, <laughs> right? And you all know that. And, and I, I, I think it's really sweet, but see here, your identity gets decided by Jesus and his authority. And I think that is really great in terms of our confidence and security that it's established by Jesus, not us. He has the authority to do that, and he does that. Let me tell you what your name's going to be. Peter. And there's reasons. He doesn't find that out right away, right? Now, uh, number six, Jesus commands allegiance. Now, I talk about this quite a bit, that when you give your life to Jesus, you are swearing allegiance to the king. This allegiance is a big deal. It's allegiance, all right? And Jesus commands allegiance. Yeah, Jesus has authority unilaterally to command allegiance, by the way. Look at verse 43. On the next day, Jesus wanted to set out for Galilee. He finds Philip and he said to him, follow me. Notice how things develop. In, in, in verse 36 and 37, John the Baptist gets the ball rolling by saying, look, the Lamb of God and his disciples follow Jesus. But here in verse 43, in verse 43, Jesus just says to Philip, follow me. So Jesus is now taking the initiative. So, so, so we see the only Son of God assuming the authority that he has to command allegiance right here. And later on, he'll say to the disciples, you didn't choose me. I chose you. He says that in John chapter 15. But don't make the mistake of thinking you don't have to choose him. You do, but what Jesus is saying, when you choose me, really come to me and receive me as your lamb and bread and water and shepherd, you'll see, you'll know that I chose you first. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, right in John 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whosoever comes to me, I will never cast out, John 6. So the glory of the only Son from the Father is full of grace, full of truth. And he is glorious as the one who says, with full authority to Philip, follow me. Oh, that's what we need is that kind of authority in our life, right? He he knows that. Because if we're left to our own devices, we will choose everything but him most of the time. Number seven, Jesus knows us. He knows us. This is good. He knows our condition inside and out. He knows you inside and out. Verse 45, 
start there. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found them, the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael replies, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip replies, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and exclaimed, look, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So Nathanael, he asked, how do you know me? And Jesus replies, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. (laughs) Now, Jesus knows lots. But here, there are two kinds of things that he knows um, about Nathanael in particular. He knows what's going on on the inside, and he knows what's going on in the outside. How do we know this? Look, the first thing Jesus says about him is that he is a true Israelite, in whom there's no deceit. Some of your versions might say guile. You know, we, where we get this word, we start digging around with this word. It's, it's like a, um, it's a word that you use in fishing. It's called bait. What? Yeah. When you go fishing, you're basically kind of tricking the fish to eat something without knowing there's a hook in there, I guess, Right? Sometimes it's plastic, sometimes it's just whatever, right? It's that same word. And Jesus says there's none of that in this guy, right? That's the truth about the inside of Nathaniel. And the second thing he says was, while you were out of my sight, I saw you. You're under the fig tree when Philip found you. That's the truth about the outside. Nathaniel, he's astonished. He can't believe this. Nobody's around. He says in verse 49, look at verse 49. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. It's so amazing to him that he's like, wow. You can see the inside and the outside. And, and, and it is amazing that Jesus today, as the son of God and the king of Israel, knows our condition inside and out. Isn't that amazing? If you're alone... And you get in trouble and no one knows what happens to you. Jesus knows. You're never going to be in a situation where Jesus is not fully aware of what's going on in your life. And if you believe that he loves you and that he's stronger and bigger than any force in the world, then the fact that he knows your circumstances is unbelievable, sweet grace. Isn't it? Maybe even sweeter that he knows your inner condition. I know that sounds scary. But when Philip said to Nathaniel in verse 45 that Jesus was from Nazareth, Nathaniel answers bluntly from his heart without any posturing in verse 46. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What does Jesus think about all that? It's like, hey, Do you like the Bengals? No, I think they stink. I don't want them to win. Anything good come out in Cincinnati? (laughs) That was a trashy team over the last number of years. They they can't do anything right. The only good thing about um, Cincinnati is their quarterback. And he's been sacked more than any other quarterback in the NFL this year by 12 
sacks. Did you know that? He has a terrible offensive line. I like Cincinnati. Hold on. Hold on. Verse 47, look, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. I don't think it's a statement out of the blue with no connection to the context. I think Jesus means this. Watch this. Here's somebody who tells it like it is. Cincinnati's not that good. What you see is what you get. He's not two-faced. He doesn't like Nazareth. I've been there. Jesus isn't commenting about Nathaniel's sinlessness. He's saying he's not deceitful. He's not, he's not faking it. Jesus knew this about Nathaniel's heart, his particular inner life before he ever met him. He's not offended about that. We're not alone in our experience or our experiences. Jesus knows our hearts and our minds. He knows our body. He knows everything about us. And there's a sense of relief that our utterly unique stuff that nobody else can share, Jesus totally and fully and completely understands it. Oh, I love that, right? I really love that. Now, what does this have to do with me? Sit still. Don't get up. Maybe you got something to go do. Just hang on. We're all sinful, but Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away our sin, all right? So there's only one solution for the sin in your life. It's about Jesus who takes that all away, okay? Now, number two, what's this got to do with me? Jesus gives spiritual sight. You see, if you come to Jesus, that's when you get to see You see spiritual reality. You see the key that unlocks the meaning of everything. Your eyes will be open if you come and see. Because he's the one that gives spiritual sight. Number three, Jesus is the Messiah. I don't want to run past that. It's, we will talk more and more of this, but the glory of the only Son of God is the glory of the Messiah, the long-expected one of Israel. We celebrate this at Christmas and all this, the, the Old Testament is there to introduce us to Messiah, who now is being introduced to us right here in the New Testament. Now, when you come to Jesus, you find that he is the Christ. The Christ. Number four, Jesus can change our identity. And wow, the part that, the, the truth that I'm trying to, draw the text here that's staggering to me is this is the absolute authority of Jesus to choose and determine our destiny. He knows what it should be. He does this. He has all the sovereign authority to do this and there's no identity for our life better than the one Jesus can give you. Number five, what's this got to do with you and me? Jesus commands our allegiance, so he has the authority to say, follow me, but you still got to choose Jesus. Really come to him and receive him as your lamb, your bread, your water, your shepherd. 
When that happens, then you're going to know that he chooses you first. Because all of a sudden you realize and you recognize he is sovereign. He's the creator of the universe. He knows everything. He's omniscient. He's He's God. He's God. Number six, Jesus knows our condition inside and out. As scary as that sounds, the comforting part of that and the truth that I want to feature here out of this text is you're never going to be in a situation where Jesus is not fully aware of what's going on in your life. And if you believe that he loves you and that he's stronger than anything in the world, anything in the planet, then the fact that he knows your circumstances, that is sweet grace. We write songs about that. We title them Amazing Grace. He knows us inside and out. So there's really one question. Will you come and see? Oh, because when you do, everything, everything changes when you truly see who Jesus is. Lord, this is a, a great day to be together, worshiping, gathering together, giving and serving you. But it's not about us. It is still truly all about you. So I'm praying, Lord, that you would keep working on us so that we could see. Because it is in this seeing that changes everything for us. And we know there's so many people in our lives, Father, who need to see, who need to see. So I'm praying that we would be like Peter and John and Andrew and Philip and Nathaniel. And we would start telling everybody about who we've seen and what we know. I'm praying this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.